Welcome to the August Fellows Choice by Joanna Kasperczyk-Bartnik and Zoya Razumova, presenting selection of articles from the current issue of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. In this podcast, we will focus on research concerning adjuvant treatment for patients with fingo stage 1 uterine serous carcinoma confined to the endometrium, considerations about HPV vaccination screening programs, colposcopy, and surgery during and after COVID-19 pandemic, comparison of minimal invasive versus open surgery in the treatment of endometrial carcinosarcoma, change in practice in gynecologic oncology during COVID-19 pandemic, a social media survey, robotic-assisted laparoscopic splenectomy for recurrent ovarian cancer, post-operative complications of epidural analgesia at hysterectomy for gynecologic malignancies, measurement of tumor size in early cervical cancer, a multicenter phase 2 randomized trial of darvalumab versus physician's choice chemotherapy in recurrent ovarian clear cell adenocarcinoma and recurrent lymphatic ascites successfully treated by indocyanine green near infrared fluorescence images and laparoscopy. In an original paper by Dr. Dimitrios Nasioudis and colleagues from Division of Gynecologic Oncology, Penn Medicine, Philadelphia, the investigators evaluated the role of adjuvant treatment on survival of patients with uterine papillary serous carcinoma confined to the endometrium. Patients diagnosed with stage 1 uterine serous carcinoma with no myometrial invasion who underwent hysterectomy with at least 10 lymph nodes removed were identified from the National Cancer Database. Adjuvant treatment pattern is defined as receipt of chemotherapy and and or radiotherapy within 6 months from surgery were investigated and overall survival was evaluated. Among 1,709 patients, with uterine serous carcinoma confined to the endometrium, 48.7% did not receive adjuvant treatment. Results showed that 5-year overall survival rates for patients who did not receive adjuvant treatment was 81.9% compared with 91.3% for those who had chemoradiation, 85.1% for those who received radiotherapy only, and 91% for those who received chemotherapy only. After controlling for age, insurance status, type of treatment facility, tumor size, comorbidities, and history of another tumor, patients who received adjuvant chemotherapy or chemoradiation had better survival compared with those who did not receive any adjuvant treatment, while there was no benefit from radiotherapy alone. It was concluded that adjuvant chemotherapy is associated with a survival benefit for uterine serous carcinoma confined to the endometrium. There was no difference in survival between observation and radiation only. In a society statement by the European Federation for Colposcopy and the European Society of Gynecological Oncology, readers are provided with joint consideration about human papillomavirus vaccination, screening programs, colposcopy and surgery during and after the COVID-19 pandemic. Those recommendations could be applied in all countries in which screening programs and elective surgery were suspended. Covered topics include management of vaccination and screening programs during and after the COVID-19 pandemic, including management of screen-positive women and management of pre-invasive and invasive lesions of the lower genital tract. 
Organizational aspects are also discussed with the emphasis on the virtual consultations, HPV self-sampling, telecolposcopy or digital colposcopy, personal protective equipment, and technical considerations as well as education and information. In another manuscript, Dr. Silvana Pedra Nobre from Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, together with colleagues, present the retrospective comparison of minimally invasive versus open surgery in the treatment of endometrial carcinosarcoma. The aim of the study was to compare perioperative and oncologic outcomes between minimally invasive and open surgery in the treatment of endometrial carcinosarcoma. Out of 147 patients enrolled in the study, 37 underwent an open approach and 110 underwent minimally invasive surgery. Median age, body mass index, operative time, stage, complication grade and use of adjuvant treatment were clinically and statistically similar between groups. Median length of hospital stay in the open group was 4 days compared with 1 day in the minimally invasive group. Two-year progression-free survival rates were 52.8% in the open group and 58.5% in the minimally invasive group. Two-year disease-specific survival rates were 66.1% and 81.4% respectively. It was concluded that in patients with clinical stage 1 endometrial carcinosarcoma, Minimally invasive surgery compared with open surgery was not associated with poor oncologic outcomes, but with a shorter length and of hospital stay and a lower rate of overall complications. Changes in practice in gynecologic oncology during the COVID-19 pandemic are presented in results of a social media survey by Drs. Fabio Martinelli and Annalisa Garbi from Milan. The goal of this survey was to evaluate changes that occurred in gynecologic oncology practice during the COVID-19 pandemic. An anonymous survey regarding interaction between gynecologic cancers and COVID-19 was distributed online via social media in April 2020. A total of 187 physicians across 49 countries shared their experience by completion of the survey. For 97.3% of respondents, COVID-19 affected or changed their respective clinical practice. From 165 to 25.5% of respondents were not performing any triage of patients for COVID-19 status. The majority of respondents did not alter indications of treatment if patients were COVID-19 negative, while treatments for, were generally postponed in COVID-19 positive patients. Treatments were considered priority for locally advanced cervical cancer, early-stage high-risk uterine cancers, and newly diagnosed epithelial ovarian An original cancer. research by Thomas Paternity from Advanced Health Cancer Institute, Orlando, Florida, USA, and co-authors focuses on robotic-assisted laparoscopic splenectomy for recurrent ovarian cancer. The aim of the study was to describe the technique of robotic-assisted laparoscopic splenectomy and to evaluate outcomes, including progression-free and overall survival, in patients who underband this procedure for recurrent ovarian cancer. A total of 10 patients were included. 
the median robotic splenectomy operative time was 159 minutes. There were no transfusions, laparotomy conversions, return to the operating room, abscesses, or pancreatic pseudocysts. The median length of stay was two days. The median progression-free survival was 15 months, and the median overall survival was 51 months post-splenectomy. It was concluded that robotic splenectomy was feasible, achieving complete cytoreduction reduction of splenic recurrent ovarian cancer, short hospital length of stay, and acceptable morbidity. Post-operative complications of epidural analgesia and hysterectomy for gynecologic malignancies are presented in an original manuscript by Sarah Eckroyd from Temple University Hospital, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA, and colleagues. The aim of the study was to identify the rate of 30-day post-operative complications after the use of epidural in women undergoing hysterectomy for gynecologic malignancy. This is a large database study including more than 2,035 patients receiving epidural with hysterectomy for malignancy. Epidural was associated with, with higher complication rates, but mortality was unaffected. Epidural was also associated with longer lengths of stay and more readmissions. In a review by Gloria Salvo from University of Texas and the Anderson Cancer Center, Houston, Texas, USA, and co-authors, various aspects of measurement of tumor size in early cervical cancer are discussed. Dr. Salvo points out that when comparing clinical stage based on physical examination and final pathology, the concordance diminishes as stage increases. Vaginal involvement and larger tumor diameter are considered the main causes of stage inaccuracy. When considering imaging studies, MRI provides the highest level of accuracy in the assessment of cervical tumor size. The most recent modification to the staging system by FIGO incorporates pathological findings. The required information for reporting on cervical cancer includes depth of invasion, horizontal extent, and width. In order to develop consistency in the reporting, pathologists are encouraged to integrate the same rules and techniques. The depth of invasion should be measured by convention from near-surface epithelium, which equates to tumor thickness. In the setting where tumor is found both in the conization and hysterectomy specimen, the horizontal extent should be measured by summarizing the maximum horizontal measurement in the different specimens and the depth of invasion measured as the maximum depth in either specimen. In the clinical trial section of the current issue, a multi-center phase two randomized trial of Durvalumab versus physician's choice chemotherapy in recurrent ovarian cell adenocarcinoma by an Italian goy from National University Cancer Institute, Singapore and colleagues is presented. The primary objective is to evaluate the efficiency of Durvalumab compared with standard chemotherapy in patients with recurrent ovarian cell carcinoma. 
The mock study is a multi-center, open-label, randomized phase 2 trial in patients with recurrent ovarian clear cell carcinoma, which recruited from eight sites. Enrolled patients were randomized in a 2 to 1 ratio to receive the Rivalumab or physician's choice of chemotherapy until disease progression, intolerable toxicity, or withdrawal of patient consent. The primary endpoint was the median progression-free survival following treatment with Durvalumab compared with physician's choice of chemotherapy. Results are expected to be presented by May 2021. In a video article by Rodrigo Fernandez from Sao Paulo, Brazil, we learn about persistent postoperative ascites successfully identified and treated with laparoscopic intestinal green fluorescence. Lymphatic ascites after a lymphadenectomy due to disruption of lymphatic vessels is a complication reported to happen in 2.7% of these procedures. Medical treatment is the primary treatment of choice and has been reported to cure ascites in 66% to 77% of cases. Surgical treatment to identify the leakage site should not be considered as the first choice and is reserved if medical treatment fails to solve it. In designing green and fluorescence imaging have been basically used for different purposes, including sentinel lymph node identification for different types of cancer, retina evaluation and organ perfusion before resection. In this video, authors present a case where in designing green and fluorescence imaging were used to help identify the precise size of lymphatic leakage and successfully solve it. The use of laparoscopy and in designing green subcutaneous injection appears as a promising technique to identify active lymphatic leakage and treat it surgically. The injection of indesigning cream to the teeth appears to be an alternative to interdigital food injection. It was an August Fellows choice by Joanna Kasperchuk-Bartnik and Zoe Rosmova. Thank you.